You're listening to the podcast of Christ Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. We hope these sermons help you to know God through Christ by deepening your belief in the gospel. Well, yesterday we met for the first time as a church on Zoom because of the coronavirus outbreak, and I meant to start recording on my phone that we could upload this sermon audio to the podcast on Monday, but I forgot. So this is now Monday, and I'm going to re-record this sermon from yesterday, and you'll just have to excuse my neighbor's dogs who might be barking. But here we are. Uh, If you are listening to this for the first time, uh, listening to a sermon from Christ Church for the first time, my name is Nathan. I'm one of the pastors of Christ Church. And uh, last week, on Monday afternoon, I sat down to begin working through Psalm 4. After feeling like I had gotten a handle on it, I opened a blank Word document to try to get an outline together and to write some kind of an introduction. And then Friday morning was the next time I was able to get back around to it. But then I obviously had to scrap the way that I was going to approach this. The changes in our world and culture between Monday and Friday were happening at warp speed. The difference between when we were all together at a potluck last Sunday to this week is remarkable, almost hard to remember. And yet, in God's kind providence of giving us Psalm 4 for this week, I didn't have to scrap the content. We don't have Exodus 28 or some other other passage, that maybe like the description of the priestly garments or something, which two months ago was a great and needed text for us then. We've been working through the beginning of the Psalms, though, and so today we have Psalm 4, which if I were to pick any one text in the entire Bible to preach for this year, uh, isolated and quarantined Zoom church, this may just be it. Psalm 4 has been on the calendar for, for many, many months for today, and it is definitely for us today. Of course, David wrote it as someone experiencing suffering. The subtitle helps us so much. It says under Psalm 4, the title, it says, To the choir master with stringed instruments, a psalm of David. Meaning, later generations lived and experienced the emotions of faith, the emotions and faith of David, then as their own, centuries later, as they sang it together as the people of God. And so we still do today. The, the original sheet music and the melody is lost to us today, but the emotion and the experience of this psalm is not. So in Psalm 4, David is going to direct his attention and his speech to three different audiences. He's going to approach and address God and then his enemies and then back to God. So we'll divide up our thoughts today under those three headings by thinking through a prayer for relief, a plea for repentance, and a response of peace. So first of all, David offers a prayer for relief. The circumstances that David finds himself in is a scene which happens all over literature and movies. David finds himself surrounded by enemies and night is coming. Like how many movies are there out there where the protagonists are working hard and like a a montage of building up defenses and preparing because they know that the enemy comes at night? Whether it's the final battle of the two towers and the coming of the orcs and the urukai. Or young Kevin McAllister readying his house for the coming of the wet bandits at 9 p.m. Many throughout the centuries have called Psalm 4 an evening psalm. It has that same feel. There is darkness closing in, and it ends in the coming of sleep. We don't know at which point in David's life he's writing this song, but he's surrounded by enemies who are closing in on him. It is evening, the sun is setting, and the darkness is coming. 
And so David says in verse 1, Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. In this, his moment of crisis, he does what he has always done. David believes in a God who not only hears prayers, but that responds to them. And he believes this because he has experienced this kind of God. In the past, when he was in distress, God gave him relief when he asked. And who knows what David's talking about here, that kind of past distress, whether it was running from Saul or perhaps even remembering times of keeping and guarding his sheep as a teenager. David didn't just float along aimlessly as a young man and then later as an adult to then respond in great faith in moments of crisis. No, these were just, the crisis moments were just a natural outpouring of the faith that he had been building for years. And in good times, he was pressing in more deeply to know God. He didn't just walk up to a Philistine giant one day because he was reckless and naively courageous. No, he, he had cultivated courage. He had cultivated trust in the Lord for years with lions and bears protecting his sheep. And so when everything is peaceful and life is good, we don't just come to God's word and pray to have like the emotional cockles of our hearts warmed. No, we come to God's word like squirrels gathering nuts for the winter. Like perhaps many of us did this week with toilet paper and with other uh, supplies, understanding that we will need them at a later time. Because here's the reality of life on this planet and in this age. It's under a curse, and it's not the way that it was intended to be. There is suffering and death. There is war and famine and disease. As 21st century Americans, we've done a pretty good job at shielding ourselves from this reality. We never really had to experience large-scale suffering. Generally, we put away our elderly and we hide ourselves from the dying. We're fairly good at protecting ourselves from the big life and culture-changing events. And so isn't it ironic that the biggest and most powerful cultures and economies in the world are being brought to our knees by a microscopic organism? And for the time being, we are entirely powerless to stop it. And yet this is nothing new. You've undoubtedly been reading of diseases and plagues in history, of how 40% of Calvin's congregation died of the bubonic plague in 1542. 40%. Can you imagine? Or of how Spurgeon grew weary of burying member after member after member of his church during the cholera outbreak of 1854. And so while Lord willing, we aren't going to be burying half of our congregation, the effects of this outbreak are no less real. We've been hearing from many of you this week of extremely long and difficult hours for you in the medical field, of financial worry for you business owners and hourly workers, of the general unknown for you students and interns and athletes, and yes, of the real and actual fear of death for you who are older or who have more vulnerable immune systems. Certainly, we might be feeling these anxieties for our parents or for our grandparents' health. And so what does David model for us? To pray. To pray for relief. Perhaps you have been storing acorns for many months or years now. Perhaps throughout your temptation toward fear of the unknown, your, your faith in God's goodness and care, it couldn't be stronger. You have been preparing for moments like this. You are finally da finding daily and increasing joy in the Lord as you pray for relief. And praise God for that. Perhaps, though, the storehouse is empty right now. You're anxious, you're afraid, you're angry. What should you do? 
Well, I've shared with you one church's welcome and call to worship before. They offer this call to worship every week on Sundays, but perhaps you would hear it again today. To all who are weary and need rest, to all who mourn and long for comfort, to all who feel worthless and wonder if God cares, to all who fail and desire strength, to all who sin and need a savior, to all who hunger and thirst for righteousness, and to whomever will come, this church opens wide her doors and offers her welcome in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there's a real sense in which we are really lacking by not being together. We're grateful that we're living in 2020 when something like Zoom and podcasts are possible, but this is not normal, where we can't be together. For some, a service like this on a 5 or a 13-inch screen is normal, but it's not normal for us. We recognize that in many times in life, we are empty. We're not full. We need to be filled by Christ, and we need to be filled by him often by and through each other. But if you feel empty today, perhaps you might pray Psalm 4, verse 1, over and over and over again today, that the God of our righteousness will hear and respond, perhaps not in the way or in the timing we want, but that he will comfort our hearts with his presence. And so then David turns his attention outward toward his enemies who are closing in. So secondly, he, he I imagine him yelling out to the surrounding enemies, a plea for repentance, a plea for repentance. In verse two, he says, O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Now we'll have more to consider next week in Psalm five, but what verse three is not saying is that if you get your life right, God will just now give you what you want. I've, I've seen all kinds of Old Testament promises to Israel that are floating around social media in the last couple of days, even promises that if we would uh, humble ourselves and live in holiness, that God would remove the sickness from our land. If you've been with us in the Read Scripture plan, you've been reading in Deuteronomy about the Old Covenant promises of blessing and curse, and maybe you're tempted to apply those to today. But our understanding from the past few weeks of Christ as the fulfillment of the Psalms, of the New Testament writers understanding of Jesus as the fulfillment of Israel and of those old covenant promises of blessing and curse, that every promise of God finds its yes and amen in Jesus, then we can understand Jesus as the one who prays this prayer even better than David. That in Jesus' incarnation of him taking on humanity, that God the Father hears him when Jesus calls. Because here's the thing about the COVID-19 virus or other microscopic infectious diseases. COVID-19 is undiscerning. It is indiscriminating. People all over the world of different races and ethnic backgrounds are contracting it. Christians and non-Christians alike, rich and poor, celebrities and everyday folks like you and me. Now, can God keep you from contracting this disease? Yes, he is absolutely able. But does he promise to keep you from it? If only your faith is strong. Absolutely not. Which is one reason why we are meeting on Zoom today and for the foreseeable future. We think the command to gather together is important and essential as for our lives as Christians. We Christians who are full of faith and hope are not afraid of sickness or of death. But we think the command to love our neighbor as ourselves is equally important and essential. To keep from contracting and spreading this infection toward those who are afraid of sickness and in death and who have no hope in Christ. 
to protect the vulnerable amongst us. And yet we are also hopeful that sickness and death could be the very thing that God uses to grab our and the world's attention. C.S. Lewis has famously said that suffering is God's megaphone toward a deaf world. Now, maybe last week you wouldn't have had a category for verse 4. Maybe this week you do, though. David writes to his enemies, be angry and do not sin. Perhaps last week you wouldn't have understood that, but now you might understand to, to be angry at the suffering and the loss in this world. Be angry at how our own sin has fractured this world and the cosmos in such a way that has brought about this curse. But do not be angry at God. Do not sin. Instead, ponder in your hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices, David says, and put your trust in the Lord. As these enemy soldiers are about to begin their attack on David in the morning, he is urging them to lie there in, in their beds and consider what really matters. This week, all I can think about from that verse, and now amidst all this self-isolation, is Blaise Pascal in 1670 saying, I have often said that the sole cause of man's unhappiness is that he does not know how to stay quietly in his room. He says this in his incredible book, Penze. It's, you spell it P-E-N-S-E-E-S. -E -E you can just Google that uh, this week. It's public domain. It's You can find it anywhere. And it's basically just a lot of blog posts and short tweets uh, from this philosopher mathematician in the 1600s. But if you find that online, you should pay special attention and look for chapter 139, where Pascal writes about the need for diversion and distraction in the 1600s. He is observing how the people of his age are constantly looking for entertainment. The king of France, he hires jesters to make him laugh. People are looking for sports to distract them from one very real reality. And this is the real reality that Pascal thinks that we are looking for this kind of entertainment to distract us from. The reality that one day we are going to die. And if that was true in 1670, how much more so today? We have more entertainment than the king of France could ever dream of. Netflix and social media and the news. And we can't even pull up to a stoplight and sit there for 20 seconds without pulling out our phones and checking the latest social media. We're afraid to be left with our own thoughts. Now with our crazy busy lives that are perhaps overly scheduled from one event or a practice or a meeting to the next, well, now the crazy busy was just put on a mandatory hold. Sure, we still have to get work done and school or homework done, but one important thing for us all to do in the coming weeks is to learn how to stay quietly in our room. That's not to say we don't play a lot of games together. We don't perhaps even binge a few seasons or movies on Netflix or watch or read the news, but... How often do we give excuses for how we don't read the Bible or how we don't pray because we just don't have the time. We're just so busy. Well, that non-real excuse that we might have been giving a month ago is now definitely obliterated. Perhaps you might, a couple of years from now, look back and remember the ways in which this time of self-isolation that God grew you, the amount of prayer and reflection that you were able to have, of Bible reading or of other reading that you were now handed with several weeks of isolation. And maybe for some of you, that might mean reading the Bible for the very first time. Maybe you'd consider reading the Gospel of John this week and explore who Jesus is and that one or a couple of us might FaceTime or Zoom with you to consider what you're encountering as you read. Now, there are just tons of C.S. Lewis quotes flying around this week. 
but maybe none more insightful than from a sermon that he preached in 1939, just weeks before the outbreak of World War II. And Lewis says this, I think it's important to try to see the present calamity in a true perspective. The war creates no absolutely new situation. It simply aggravates the permanent human situation so that we can no longer ignore it. Human life has always been lived on the edge of a precipice. We are mistaken when we compare war with, quote, normal life. Life has never been normal. Because here's the thing. We only thought that last week was normal, and now this week is crazy. But last week was not normal. There was suffering then, too. There was pain and loss and death last week, just like every other week in human history. Only now we cannot ignore it. And so David says, ponder in your hearts, on your beds, and be silent. Offer right sacrifices. Put your trust in the Lord. Like a great world war, the COVID-19 virus is a great evil in the world. And yet we believe in a God who can use evil for good, who can turn weak faith into strong faith, a lack of hope into deep hope, joylessness into joy, which is exactly what David's response is now surrounded by the darkness. Finally here, he, is, he receives a response of peace. A response of peace. Verse 6, he says, There are many who say, Who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. Though he and his men are surrounded by darkness, though some are doubting that God will act and respond in the darkness, David prays for light. He says, Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. Just like God blessed and promised through Aaron, that the glory of God would shine on his people, it would illumine the way for them and shine through the darkness, David is asking for the same to happen again. Now, one bit of practical application, similar to the confession of sin that we offered earlier, is how Paul thinks of God's people as also shining God's light on the world. Not just that they receive the light, but they shine the light of God's glory. In Philippians 2, you want to know what Paul says makes Christians shine most brightly in a dark world? But they don't grumble or complain. The entire world is complaining out loud right now, whether it be about real but relatively insignificant disappointments or inconveniences like canceled events or vacations. There's no sports to watch. What to do with our kids all day and how they're going to be schooled. For you students, what this means for your classes this semester. To even more significant actual troubles like job losses the inability to pay necessary bills, not just the loss of some disposable income for entertainment, or even very real sickness and death. The entire world is complaining about these same things. Can we, who hope in the Lord, trust in his goodness and kindness? Not even just out loud, but even more, more importantly, can we hope in the Lord and not complain in our own hearts? Our entire world is inconvenienced right now. There is much to not be thankful for. And yet these are exactly the times where we must consider all the, the reasons that we do have to be thankful. We ought to be cultivating thankfulness rather than frustration. Not mimicking and complaining like the world, but reflecting Jesus, who never once complained, but suffered with the joy that is to be found in knowing the God who is there. So David says he is happier and more content than those who have bread and food and wine flowing. He is more settled, secure, and filled with joy in the Lord than a drunken party. Why? Well, because all that stuff is here and gone. It doesn't actually keep the promise of contentment. You can drink wine, but it doesn't make you eternally happy. you got to keep going back. 
Even after the best steak dinner in the world, you're hungry again after three hours. But in knowing God, David has found joy that does not run out. Even though it is evening and the darkness closes in, David closes this poem in confident peace. He says, In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Way back in time, when we still met each other in public, I once had lunch with Dave Ortega a long time ago on Monday. And Dave and I were talking about this verse, about how so many Americans struggle with sleeplessness. The inability to sleep can come for many reasons, biologically and chemically for sure, but insomnia is a growing epidemic. I know this anecdotally from many of you and from research studies that I've been reading this week, even online from the CDC. Dave and I are not doctors or sleep experts, but we were just making untrained observations that we are just as Americans on. Our brains and imaginations and minds are on high gear until the moment that we try to sleep. TV, social media, news, blogs, work email, and work problems that do not stay at work. And then, bam, we try to close our eyes and just go to sleep. My guess is many more of us this week didn't sleep as well as we did last week with all kinds of new worry and anxiety. Well, Dave, David, not Dave Ortega, but David from Psalm 4 is filled with the same worry, not knowing if he's coming out of this night and the next morning alive, and yet he says he sleeps in peace. As Dave and I were considering this verse, Dave said that he this reminds him of a toddler who is asleep in the backseat of a piece of metal that's flying 70 miles an hour down the highway. Like, why can kids fall asleep in such a dangerous state? Well, because they have implicit trust. They have implicit confidence in their parent who is driving. Christchurch, visitors of Christchurch, our, our, our God is not asleep at the wheel. A year ago, he was not unaware of the coming spread of this disease. The world, the universe, and nature is raging, but our God has entered into the rage. He has taken on a body that could feel the effects of the curse, that could get sick, that could feel pain, could die. For you and for me, he has done the hard part of forgiving sin and defeating death, so we know that he is trustworthy to give us light, to give us joy, to give us peace amongst great darkness and uncertainty. He is trustworthy. So consider what David says, to ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices of praise. Put your trust in the Lord. I'll close us with a quote from one of my seminary professors from a few years ago where he said, The gates of hell are torn down. Death is ripped apart. The right man is at the helm of the cosmos. And you're worried about what again? The effects of this virus are very real. There is great uncertainty out there that we just don't have the answers for, but God does. He is The right man is at the helm of the cosmos, and we have nothing to fear. Let us put our hope and our trust in the Lord. We hope you have been encouraged to deeper life in Christ through the preaching of this sermon. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.christchurchabq.com.